Turn your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. I noticed a lot of visitors with us today and I just want to welcome you. Um, glad that you're here and it's my desire, um, whether you ever come back or, or make this your home or not, it's, it's not our goal to add people to this house. It's our goal to share the Lord and to share Jesus with you. And it's my prayer that when you leave today that you can get in the car and say with integrity, today I heard from the Lord for my life. I'll be reading out of the message paraphrase this morning. Uh, the message Bible is not a transliteration. It's not a word-for-word -word, uh, translation, but it is a paraphrase. And I said that to tell you this. A paraphrase would be like if I read this scripture and then I told you what stood out to me, what it meant to me. And uh, it's very important to study the Word of God in a translation. But there's something the Lord showed me yesterday and did for me and did in me. And this paraphrase will segue into that and it will be based upon the written word of God as well. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll be reading out of the message. Do we have the message on the screen this morning? I can't impress this on you too strongly. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. I can't impress this too strongly. God is looking over your shoulder. Christ himself is the judge with the final say on everyone living and the dead. And he's about to break into the open with, this, with his rule. So proclaim the message with intensity. Keep on your watch. Challenge. Warn and urge your people. Don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. You're going to find out that there will be times when the people you speak to will have no stomach for solid teaching. But they will fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their back on truth and chase mirages. But you, Timothy, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. You take over. I'm about to die. Listen to this. My life has been an offering on God's altar. This is the only race worth running. I've, I've run hard right to the finish. I've believed all the way. And all that's left now is the shouting and God's applause. Depend on it. He's an honest judge. He'll do right not only by me, but by everyone that is eager for his coming. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. And I know you will not mind, but I want to pray for myself. And I would ask humbly that you would pray for me, that God's anointing would be strong uh, on these words. And they would go right to the deepest place of your heart. And that I would communicate what he's given me this morning, nothing more and nothing less. So, Father, I just stand before you today. And I'm, I tremble in my heart with... So many mixed emotions from excitement that you seem so near. And I know you're always with me, but so near that you're at the door of returning for your church. 
Oh Lord, I'm asking that you would not let me have stray thoughts or wandering thoughts, but I would speak with clarity, with uh, power and your endorsement on these words because words that come from John Wood or any man, we have the option to take or leave them. But if they are from you, oh Lord, may they find their way to the truest part of who we are and arrest us and sober us and quicken us, change us. May we experience another facet of individual revival by your spoken word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to share at the funeral of Blossom Vincent's father. And over the last 30 years, I've done a lot of funerals, a lot of weddings, a lot of funerals. But this, something happened to me yesterday that transcended the funeral itself. I'd only met her dad once before they'd invited us over for dinner and I got to meet mom and dad. And now after hearing about his life, I understand that he was checking me out to see if his daughter could stay at my church. That's what he's doing. And he wanted to make sure that I was a preacher of righteousness and that I wasn't hazy on the truth and that I understood the person and the presence and the power of Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of God. Uh, And yesterday, uh, while I was waiting my turn to speak, for those of you that are ministers or that ever spoken at a funeral, you understand how difficult that is. But if you don't know the person or if you don't know them well, you, you see people sharing these intimate stories that you don't share. And it can be very intimidating. And um, right before I got up to speak, the Lord's presence came on me so strong and so independent of anything that was going on. It, it surprised me. It was like this. And we don't base our life on experiences, but experience can reveal things to you. You don't base your life on them. You don't chase them. But when they happen and they come from God, there's a purpose there for them. It was so overwhelming to me that I could hardly stand. And I, the, 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 the story from the Bible like transposed, just overlaid on me had nothing to do with the service. I was thinking of the story, or it came to my mind, where Stephen was being beat upon and gnashed upon uh, with their teeth because he had preached the uh, word of God and preached that Christ was Messiah. And they threw the uh, uh, coats at the feet of a man named Saul, who would later become Paul. And uh, while this persecution was going on, and right before they took these rocks... And broke his skull and broke his body. He said, I see the Lord. And he's standing at the right hand of God. And that incensed them. And they drug him out of town. And they murdered him and stoned him. And so I'm having this experience. This story comes to my mind that did not really, in my understanding have anything to do with this man he wasn't killed he just expired he spent his life for the Lord and so it's hard to explain it was like all of this happened in one moment I just knew it all in one moment so I asked I said 
Lord, what's that have to do with anything? And I had the understanding that the Lord was standing not in awe of the man, but in the endorsement of the man. And I felt the Lord say to me in my heart, I just wanted you to know who he was. And I felt like I was in this huge shadow of this servant. No one ever tried to deify him. No one ever tried to say that, you know, he was the standard But he had spent his life. He had poured out his life. Some would say he had wasted his life. Preaching the gospel. Pioneering churches. Building an orphanage. Training up ministers. Witnessing, evangelizing from place to place to place. From India to the U.S. India to the U.S. And I had the awareness that God knew him. And God enjoyed him. And God was pleased with him. And a great sobering came upon me. And this morning, I don't have a sermon for you. I hope to make you uneasy in a good way. Is the Lord going to stand for you? Is he going to say, this one was mine. This one loved me. This one knew me. This one served me. In our life, it's not important in this world who knows us. Oh, the television will tell you it's to be popular and to have your five minutes of fame and we want to be known in the media. We want to be known on Facebook. We want to be known in the world. Uh, Celebrities want to be known. Politicians want to be known. We want to be known in this world. Where we work, we want to be known. We want to ascend. We want to have position and status. But none of that matters. Does hell know you and does God know you? That's the two important things for the believer. Does hell know who you are? Those demons, when they came out, uh, the sons of Sceva, uh, they said, we command you to come out of this man in the, name that, uh, in the name that Paul preaches. And the demon spoke this. And the Paul we know. For a demon to say, we know that man. He ran out legions of demons in the city of Ephesus. He's pioneering churches from jail. We know that man. And Christ we know. But who are you? So hell knew his name. He pioneered a church. And I'm not deifying him. I'd only met him once before. But almost 40 years ago, or 30-something years ago, he pioneered a Pentecostal church in a a godless city where Hinduism ruled. It's like 99 point something percent. And he pioneered a Pentecostal church there. And now there's 40 churches in that area because of, of his faith. And so... What it made me do is it made me think of him. It made me think of Paul who gets to the end of his life and he said, I have fought a good fight. Christianity is not the word of God we do not study. Uh, Chris, would you turn me down just a little bit? It's very shrill. here. We don't study so that we can find out what we can get from God. We study so we can come to the maturity to give our lives to him. Not to see what he can give us, but to see what we can give him and pour our life out that way. 
You do understand that for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of your works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing to do with you to be saved. It's the election of God. It's the quickening of God. The new birth of God. But after salvation, everything hinges on you. Your choices, your separation from the world, your consecration unto God, your fullness, His Spirit in you, His fullness in ministry and works and deeds. We are not hindered by lack of gifting. We're not hindered by lack of opportunity. We're hindered by small dreams. Small dreams. And we don't have to be the biggest and best. But there was three things that I wanted to share with you that the Lord is sharing with me as His Son. All in. All in. How did you respond to salvation? When God's grace found you and eradicated your sins and you became a child of His and He sealed you with the Holy Spirit, how did you respond? Was it measured so we get his best and we measure out a little bit. You know, I'll come to church. I'll, uh, you know, I'll give something every now and then or I'll do this. He, you know what he did for you, but you need to know that he knows how you responded to what he did. This is not an installment plan. He didn't just save us. He bought us. You were redeemed, purchased, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. He owns you. Most Christians that I know are nowhere close to all in. And I'm not standing up here saying, Ha, look at me and look where you are. I have had a journey where I would go all in, some back, all in, some back. And I regret it and I repent every bit of it. I repent publicly. I repent privately. All in means all in. I don't know if you've ever played cards before. And I, I paid my way through school playing cards. And cheated half the time. But tuition was high. You do what you got to do, man. But can you imagine being at a table and going all in. And then they make bets accordingly. And then you say, well, no, I'm going to take that 200 out. Well, they'd shoot you or cut you or cut your hand off. No, baby, once it's in, that's in. And you don't go all in unless you are sure or unless you are bluffing. And a lot of Christians are bluffing, but God knows the hand that you hold. All in, Lord. My past. Oh, we don't mind going all in with the past. So his blood covers us. He covers our sins. All in. Praise the Lord. But how about present? Does he have your goals? Have you buried your dreams at the foot of the cross and said, and then put them there? Your wants, your intentions, good things, allowable things, unlawful things. And you bury everything at the foot of the cross and said, you own me. All in. You know what all in does to the other people sitting at the table? They either have to determine, are you telling the truth and I need to fold? Or do I believe you're bluffing? And if you have a good poker face and a good hand, you almost always win. Because someone 
just hates to see you walk away with everything when you don't have anything in your hand. But those with weak hands fold. When somebody goes all in, they just fold. One, two, three, four, five. But if anybody calls, it's going to reveal what that guy's hand was. And many of us went all in with the Lord only to fold later because we were bluffing. Lock, stock, and barrel. Do with my life what you want, where you want, how you want. If you're not all in with the Lord, you're not all in. No one can do that for you. No one can help you. And please listen to your pastor this morning. God won't do it for you. God will never make you love him. God will never make you singularly connected and committed and interdependent upon or dependent upon him. He'll never do it. Never do it. The beauty of marriage is that someone voluntarily says, I will reserve myself for you and only you as long as we both shall live. That's the commitment and that's the shadow of the church. I'm yours, Lord. I will not love the world. I will not cheat on you systematically and continuously. All in. Are you willing to pick up and move at the command of the Lord? Are you willing to step out of what you want and what you know? Anything less than all in is less than all in. So grace, we took all of it. But what was your reaction? What is your reaction today? And what is your intention in the days to come? All in people. When you got a good hand, you can't scare me. Oh, I, I've played some hands where I was hoping they wouldn't call. And in other times, when you're sitting there with quad tens or quad kings, and you're doing the math in your head, and you go, I have a 99.2% chance of, of winning. And see, the devil is threatening some of you. And he's telling you, you're going to lose your health. You're going to lose your youth. Those early years, you're going to lose your status. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your friends. You do this all-in thing with God, and you're going to lose everything. But we who know him, we understand that everything put on the table for the cause of God and for the love of God cannot be lost. Nothing can be lost. Nothing. Did you know that I love how Ben opened about the resurrection? The resurrection is the answer to everything. It is the answer to every question a Christian may have. Well, what about this body that the Lord was, won't heal? In that day, you'll be perfect. What about the sorrow, Pastor John? My life has been filled with sorrow and anguish and disappointment in that day of the resurrection. There'll be no sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. Those things will be passed away and God will, with a pulse of glory, said, I make all things new and will never experience sorrow again. Rejection will be healed at the resurrection when the Creator recognizes you and calls you by name and gives you a rock with a name written on it that no one understands and God will write a new name in your forehead. The world will take the mark of the beast. We'll take the mark of God. 
And we might have been rejected in this earth, but we'll have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God where God calls us by name. Brother John, I've struggled monetarily all my life. I've seen people have the nice cars and the nice house, and this is not cliche. You'll be walking on streets of gold, and you will be known by this. All that the Father has is mine. Everything. There will be no higher status in heaven, save God himself, than the children of God. Angels will cut their wings over their face when the, when the saints, the children of God, begin to worship. And the cry will come out, listen, who are those? Those are the redeemed of the Lord. We will shine with glory. Rejected here, accepted there, naked here, clothed there, unknown here, known for eternity there. If there's ever been a time to go all in, and if there's ever been a reason to go all in, Christ is at the door. And I don't want him to come with me diversified. All my eggs are in one basket. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. What legitimate reason could we ever have for holding anything back? Paul wrote in one of his epistles, he said, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. You know what a bond slave is? Regretfully, in biblical times, Old Testament times, and even in the New Testament, people owned slaves. And it wasn't just men of color or women of color. It was the, the minorities, whoever they were in that region, they would buy and own slaves. It was a horrible thing. But a bond slave is someone who was a slave. But his master was so good to him when his debt was paid or when it came time for him to be allowed to leave, he made the decision, said, I don't want to go nowhere. Now see, in our culture, we can't understand that. The spirit of this world says, your freedom is more important than anything else. If there was only one world, yes. But a bond slave would come back to his owner and say, I will never leave you. Don't ask me to go. And they would put his ear up to a post and they would bore out a hole with a stake. And they would bore through his ear. And it was a symbol that I am a slave not against my will. But by my will. And I don't want to leave you. And Christians look like fools when we place our ear to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we say, with my freedom, I give it all away to you. I give my freedom back. To you just don't ask me to ever leave you that's the sign of the Christian so my question is are you all in and if not why and if not when I don't want to be embarrassed at his coming I don't want anything hold when the trump goes off I want my spirit man to scream yes not wait a minute Wait a minute, did I close that? Did I sell that? Wait a minute, I, I, nothing, nothing. I picture a hot air balloon. When you give your life to Christ and you're saved, you got ropes tied to everything. Now y'all, it's been kind of serious, but y'all y'all, hang with me. There's some levity here, okay? You remember when you first got saved? I mean, born again, you, oh Lord, please don't come back till I get married. I've been waiting to have a spouse. You, you remember that? Lord, please don't come back before we have babies. Okay, 
But as you get older, see these ropes about what I always wanted, what I always wanted to be, the kids I want to have. And what, but as you get older, life doesn't, but you do. You cut those ropes off. They tie you to the world. And I'm not being morbid. Listen, I can't tell you how much I love my babies. I, I do not have the words to tell you. It's the single greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life, bar nothing. But compared to the Lord coming back for me and my babies, it's God and them. And we, some of us, only have one rope tying us to this world. It's our mortality. <laughs> and when the trunk goes off, if we're alive, we're going to grab one end of that rope and scream, Yes! Quack that thing. Gone. And those that have died in Christ, before we cut the rope, that last cord, they're going to get up out of the ground first. Then we, which are alive and remain, are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Will you be ready for that appearing? If a, if a man knew when the thief was coming, Jesus said, he would have planned so that the man wouldn't have came at an unexpected hour and take all the valuable things from his life. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Are you ready? Are you anticipating it? Do you long for it? If you answered no to any of those reasons, it's because your treasure is here instead of there. We're either going to have a really great crowd next week or it'll be me, Kelly, and about five people. But I love you enough to tell you the truth. The coming of the Lord is at the door. It's at, it's at the door. Remember how silly it sounded planning for retirement when you're 16, making $3 an hour? Anybody else at Piggly Wiggly? Praise the Lord, number 15. And, and you get your first check and you go, who's FICA? I hate him. Who's that? Hey! Hey! What's FICA? And they say, would you like to put some money away for later? I ain't even got enough to put gas. Gas is 20 cents a gallon now. I can't put no gas in my car. And the older you get, those of us that planned a little bit, you go, your friends look at you and go, you were smart. You set some away for retirement years. Okay? Here's just a basic question. If we realize how smart it is to plan on retirement, how smart must it be to plan on eternity? You will be known in heaven by how you were on the earth. All in. And there's only three, by the way. Number two, all the time. In every culture. I'm amazed at the Christians who base their convictions on culture. I had one tell me not too long ago they went somewhere in Europe and, you know, we had wine for breakfast, wine for lunch. Wine. Now, don't write me about this. Please, I got a special file for all of that, you know. And we partied a little more there. I know, we're not, you know, the Bible speaks of revelry, and we shouldn't have a revelous spirit. And, you know, we're not supposed to even look at wine in the glass, the Bible said. So I drank with my eyes closed. But in the culture, <laughs> in the culture there, they have it for breakfast. It's like water to them. Culture does not create my convictions. Culture's crazy. Do you understand, in our culture, you can murder a child for convenience sake. Murder. 
And I, listen, you can get mad at me. You can never come again. This is, common sense is no longer common. Do you understand? It's gone. If you put our brains in a bird, it'd fly upside down backwards. Common sense is gone. We have a place in Daytona. Well, the bank has a place in Daytona, and Kelly and I pay on it, and we get to stay there. And when those sea turtles lay eggs, they drive stakes in the ground. There's uh, yellow tape. There are people on watch 24 hours a day. You think I'm lying. They sit beside it in little chairs and umbrellas, and they make sure that nothing happens to that turtle. Okay, so let me get this right. If I step on that turtle egg, you're a felon. $250,000 fine, and you'll probably go to jail. Well, it wasn't a turtle. You told me this person that killed a child in their womb, it wasn't a baby. It wasn't a baby till it was a baby. But the turtle in its egg is a turtle. So culture doesn't exhibit much sense. Are we Christian regardless of what our environment says, regardless of what those in government above us say, regardless of what our family says, regardless of what the nation we're visiting said, my convictions are not based on culture, but the written word of God expressed to me. What we watch on television compared to what was available when, when I, first of all, when I was growing up, you, you, had, you had to block out time to watch television. It took six minutes, TV turn on. Y'all don't remember, the kids don't know you. Six minutes later, and y'all remember? And then finally it comes in and comes out and it comes in. And then your daddy say, hey, grab the antenna. I was an antenna growing up. And grab your brother's hand and your brother have some aluminum foil, a coat hanger, and he turn. Daddy go right there, right there. Andy Griffith, and when Andy lit a cigarette, the, the church just come apart. They say, I didn't know Andy smoked. I didn't know Andy smoked. That's why Barney was so small. He was secondhand smoke. He was stunted. Uh, <laughs> but you look what was allowed then. And because the erosion of filth has been so steady, we now allow in our Christian homes what would have never been allowed in ungodly people's homes. So all in, I'm asking you, are you all His all the time? In every environment, in every culture, in every company, in every season. Listen, if it was easy to be an overcomer, more people would overcome. If I preached... Only when I felt inspired, I wouldn't preach a lot. Your love for the Lord is an inner commitment. It is your choice. You have to use your will and your strength to persevere. Fight the good fight of faith. Faith is not about me finding out what God has in a sack for me. Faith is about me navigating this world as a stranger, an alien... A, a foreigner, this is not my home, in fighting the current of this world, the opinions of this world, the attitude of this world, the spirit of this world, and you fight the good fight of faith, enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Are you all in? They're going to talk about you. I'm just, I'm confused. Well, not confused. It perplexes me how the church thinks that 
when, when the church was birthed, society hated the church. And now the preachers will tell you we're supposed to be so like them that they love us. The only way the world can love us is if we're the world. Because my life will say, my life, my belief system says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And whosoever's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life shall be thrown alive into the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. Eternal punishment, there's salvation under no other name. Under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. And the wrath of God abides on him. It doesn't matter how many bottles of water we give out, people. If we stand with him, we stand apart from the world. And they despise us because our life, our repentance, highlights their sin. Now, I don't mean try to be Jesus and a Bible thumper and tell everybody else, but if it's in you, they'll know it. And Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Was Jesus confused? The hate comes from this, what they say is closed-mindedness and bigotry. So you're the only people saved. Yes, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and or my words, Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of them when I come. This road is going to get narrower before the return of the Lord. It's a narrow way and few find it. But broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there go in thereby. So for us, we have to make sure that we are in the way, in the path all the time, straightening our weak knees and Lifting up our tired arms and encouraging one another. The Bible says encourage one another. It's the more you see the day approaching. And this is what I'm trying to get you to do. If you've backslid, come back to God. Turn aside. Lay apart the sin and the way that does so easily beset you. And run your race. Don't walk it. Don't jog it. Run your race. Run like heaven was your destination and Christ is waiting. My salvation was his gift to me. But my life spent is my gift to him. All in. All the time. When it's convenient. When it's not convenient. When, it's, when you're tired. Do you know the world's run by tired people? The world is run by tired people. How active are you in the kingdom of God? Give me just a moment. Some of that pollen Kelly was talking about. And when I say this, I want you to know just some thoughts that preachers have. I don't ever want to be that guy that preaches in such a way. And, you know, I've been in church where the guy preach on hell and you, you leave and you go, I think he wants me to go. I, he's <laughs> mean-spirited. But did you know I'm going to answer to the Lord? For the words that I share with you. So he's called me. Nothing that I had to offer. He equipped me. But then he gave me anointing. For this. And I'm going to give an account for that. So if I don't provoke you. When the Bible says preach the word. 
not to enlighten and not to educate. It said for correction, reproof, rebuke, and exhortation. So three parts reminding you because the world tries to numb you. And as a preacher, I'm supposed to remind you. And this is what I want to ask you. And this is not about our church. I hope by now, 22 years later, you realize I'm not trying to build Christ Chapel. I'm trying to build the kingdom of God. That's it. Okay. If this church was a reflection of your commitment to the Lord only, how many people would come? If this church had volunteers based on how freely you volunteer, how would our ministries run? If this church only had what percentage-wise that you give or sow into this ministry as well as others, what would it look like? Well, we're just a compilation of you and me. And it's not all done in the local church. There are ministries outside the local church and there are things we do in the world. But I want you to hear me and I want you to hear me clearly. This new popular idea of church bashing and the church is what's wrong with the world. It's the, this is the body of Jesus Christ. You keep your mouth off the church. That's like insulting my wife. And you better pack a lunch because it's going to be a long evening if you offend her. The church is the hope of the world. It's the hope of the, not this church, the church. And our life should be spent praying for it, Mama Sheila, serving it, teaching it, training it, leading it in worship, using our resources to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And our problem is we have people that come and there's, it's really just for them. And I don't want your money. I don't need your money. The Lord gave us this building. I'm not appealing for office or to be followed. But you will have no reward for anything not done. And in that day, do you ever wonder why it says he'll wipe away the tears from our eyes? That's after the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Because there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth of regret. And if he did not wipe our eyes, we would be regret-filled for eternity. You, we got to be all in for the name of Christ, the cause of Christ. And it's not limited to a local church, but that's the hub of every believer. You're as close as I can get to Jesus. Do you understand that? You are bone of his bone. And I teach not because I like it or I'm good at it. I teach because that's my life given for him. That's my way. And we, we, you got to persevere for the ministers in here and the pastors and the teachers and those that work. And we're tired. God, we're so tired. Well, we're tired in the physical realm. That alarm goes off at 5 o'clock and you throw it halfway across the house. You go, for the love of God, I've been asleep eight minutes. What happened? We're tired. We go to work to feed our children. But that mindset's not in the church. Work for the Lord. Because night cometh when no man can work. The opportunity being for us to sow our life. When it's over, it's over. When this man closed his eyes, that's it. 
And I am so convicted today. I want you to know your pastor's heart. I'm not sitting here with my arms folded. Come, come on, Jesus. I want to show you what I've done. I want to retread, re-enlist, reinvigorate so that my life will be found intentionally narrowed. The narrower, the more force goes into it so that we might be gods all the time. All the time. And whatever recognition we don't get here, Understand this, there's not a cup of cold water given in his name that he won't make a reward for there. And finally, until the end, Ben, if you would come, please. All the way, all the time, to the end. I didn't know who was going to be here today. And a lot of you, I saw you and I greeted you. I don't know your name. I don't know where you're from. But I believe this was a word for you today. You've come too far to limp across the finish line. You Remember the early years when you fasted and prayed and tilled the ground and taught the babies and worship, led the worship team and drove the van and all these things. And please hear me. I don't want you to do those things to build Christ's chapel. I want you to, to do those things because you love the Lord God. And you want to serve him with your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, your strength. It's too late to quit now, baby. We're on the last stretch. All right, I don't see many track stars out here. I see some of us that get popcorn for those in the stands. Like me, I'd get the popcorn with you. What's the last leg called? What are you looking for? Come on. If you're doing, I don't know how long the court was. It? It's anchor. What's he looking for though on that last 200 yards? Yeah, but what's he need to happen on the inside? Thank you. Got a couple of runners in here. And the one that's trained says, when he turns that last lap and he sees the finish line, he said, I've trained for this. I've trained for this. I'm all in all the time, but this last 200 yards is the most important and the kick, baby. These people that were running at a certain pace, especially the longer the race, where'd that come from? They said, I, I, saw, I saw the finish line. And to win, oh, baby, I just want to get across. No, no, no. I want to win. I want to win. Sam, it's right there. It's right there. And we're going to let what somebody did or didn't do let some pastor did or didn't do or some weakness or some fatigue now's not the time to bend over and hold your knees kick I speak that over you in the name of Jesus kick just kick the Lord's coming all in all the time to the end I can't I'll finish with this I, I can't look at a casket without thinking that's it for them race is over all they have to show the Lord is what they did now to some he gave one talent which meant one, one measure of opportunity and he said I just want you to increase it I want you to work it one to two two to four five to ten and they all got the same reward you, you, you work you, you were faithful to the very end there was 1,200 ministers and or 
boys and girls that he raised in India at his funeral. And he never pastored a big church. See, that's what we'll do. We'll sit and look at somebody up there and go, well, I've never. He didn't pastor anything big. Is your life being spent on yourself or is it being invested on others? I got so far to go. But I want, I, I'm, I'm really counting the cost. I've already made up my mind, but if I don't kick, I'm going to be embarrassed. If I don't kick, I'm going to be embarrassed. I will have found this notoriety or whatever in the world and then have the Lord say, I had so much for you. Last thing I want to tell you. It was in Cordell, Georgia, 25 years ago. Y'all know Cordell, watermelon? They used to didn't have nothing but a rocket there. You couldn't eat. You just go see the rocket. Anyway, people don't know. So I'm preaching to 20, 30 people. Half the time I preached in those early years, I was thinking, you know, I'm just a joke. I'm preaching to 5, 4, 19, 12. Because I used to think numbers was it instead of why I did it and what I did. So I'm preaching. And this family walked in of about 9 or 10 people. And... I'm not saying the Cordell people that was different or wrong, but you can just tell they were different. Maybe Cordell Plus, you know, Cordell Upgrade, what, a little hey, higher, something up, a little higher. Just something a little different, you know, hygiene, something. Something was going on. I could just tell they were different, just a little different. But I preached. I got done and prayed for the sick and I prayed for people to give their life to Christ. And this man come up to me, and he's probably in his 70s, and he took his hat off. And they all come with him. He's the patriarch. He said, you John Wood? And it just struck me like, didn't you see my sign on the marquee in front of this 30-person church? You know, got little letters up there, you know, a little suction. John Wood. So I did. I said, oh, yes, sir. He goes, would you happen to be the son of Roger Wood? And I said, yes, sir. I'm his boy. I'm, I'm the one that got to preach to follow him and he goes we're so glad we saw your name in the paper and just by chance if it was you we came tonight and we wanted to hug the neck of the son of the man that led every one of us to Jesus and he <laughs> and he he fell on my neck and he just cried and cried and the next one come and held my face and cried and cried. Now, I'm not talking about numbers. It hit me. We are spending our lives somewhere. Shouldn't it be for the Lord? And I left that meeting and I said, and I know our dead relatives don't hear us, but I said, Daddy, I'm not even worried to step in your footprint. I'm not even. They tell me two things. They tell me about my dad everywhere I go. They said, your daddy was the greatest preacher I've ever heard in my life. Or they tell me, no one ever loved me like your daddy. What will your legacy be? It's time to write it. It's time to be drastic, revolutionary. If your arm offends you, cut it off. Cut them off. Start, run, dig, jump in. Run so far into God you stick out the other end. God, I may be a mess, but I'm your mess. And I want to spend my life, I want to pour it out.
on you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? This is not the kind of message where you come and a pastor prays for you or other people encourage you. I just want to ask you three questions. Are you all in? And if not, why? If you're all in, are you in all the time? Or does it matter who you're around, where you're at work, when you're at home? And to that tired Christian, to the older Christian, to the burnout Christian, are you going to finish? Are you going to finish strong? Are you going to finish with joy? Is there one last kick in you? People have counted you out. And you're going to show them. And you're going to cross the finish line with great joy. May it be said of our lives when we get home, no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. Those decisions you're making in your heart this morning, God sees them. That honesty that you're giving the Lord, God takes it. And whatever you put in His hands, He'll multiply it to feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. God will multiply your efforts for His glory. Would you stand with us this morning? For that person that took this message as condemnation or felt like they were being gotten onto, that's it's more like being an irritant. <laughs> Provoke one another. You know, stop provoking your brother. If you keep doing that, the brother is gonna swing around and fight you. Sometimes a preacher is supposed to just make you really stop, or I'm gonna run. <laughs> yes. There is nothing that you can't do for the Lord. I don't mean success. You can love people. You can serve people. You can encourage people. You can pray for people. The only limitation to your reward is your work. And we're not working for our salvation. We're working from our salvation. Because the hour is at hand. The Lord is at the door. May you be all in, all the time, all the way. God bless you today in the Lord's presence.